listening to the podcast by CISD SOAS, the Center of International Studies and Diplomacy. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Annabelle Roberts from the Center for International Studies and Diplomacy. We're here together with Professor Adeke Adebajo, the Executive Director of the Center for Conflict Resolution in Cape Town, South Africa. Good afternoon, Annabelle. I'm Fatima Sator. Thank you, Adi, for being here with us today. So as we celebrated the UN 17th anniversary this month, we will be talking about the United Nations and its relations with the South. So one, of, well, one outcome of the Friday's discussion was the anonymous agreement that changes are needed within the UN. If it's to be successful, do you think the changes in the Security Council are vital to the UN to maintain its legitimacy? I think absolutely. If we think about the fact that the UN has turned 70 and the Security Council has only ever been expanded once from 11 members to 15 members, it's pretty clear that the world of 1945 is not the world of 2015. And, for example, Britain and France may have been great powers in 1945, but they're certainly not great powers today. So Germany and Japan, for example, already contribute more to the United Nations than both countries. A country like Brazil has an economy roughly the size of Britain's, and countries like India are going to overtake uh, both countries in terms of their economic might and already has a population of 1.2 billion. So I think definitely if the Security Council keeps excluding countries like Brazil, India, South Africa, Nigeria, and Africa and Latin America have no permanent membership on the council, its legitimacy will be eroded. So let's talk about Brazil. If Brazil gets to sit on the Security Council, do you think that it will continue to defend the interest of the global south, like as a strong economic powerhouse, why would they act any different from the US? I think it's important to note that the global south itself is not a monolithic or united bloc. They may have acted independently during the period of the Cold War on issues like the anti-apartheid struggle and Palestine and trying to get a new economic order in the world. But today, it's clear that some of these countries have joined the rich world. And the way that Brazil, India, South Africa has acted in the World Trade Organization, for example, has been very much like the rich world has acted. But I think the point about legitimacy isn't so much that Brazil is going to go there and represent the South necessarily, but that they will at least have a different opinion and bring different experiences to the council to enrich it. And the point of having African members on the council isn't so much that the council is suddenly going to change fundamentally in terms of how it approaches Africa, but at least there will be consistently strong African voices that actually have the capacity to cover the council and to put strong African perspectives on the table. So in your work, you seem to, to make an important distinction between the major powers of the global south and the West. So do you see the aims of the West? Are they uh, unified? And do you always see its intervention in the global south as negative? I think it's important to note the amount of power that the West actually has on the UN Security Council. There are five permanent members with veto powers. Three of them are Western powers, the US, Britain and France. 
they they write eighty to ninety percent of all the Security Council resolutions on the Council. They act cohesively on most issues. In fact, they are referred to as the P three. Their nationals also head the most important departments within the United Nations. So, an American heads political affairs, a French heads peacekeeping, a Briton heads humanitarian affairs, and that's a disproportionate amount of power to have, not just in the Secretariat, but within the actual Security Council itself. I don't think they necessarily act negatively in the South. For example, they're. Eighty-six percent of the UN's peacekeeping missions are deployed in Africa now. Nine missions out of sixteen, and that's not necessarily a negative thing. Although sometimes when you disaggregate that, you see a country like France trying to make sure that their UN interventions in former colonies like Mali and Cote d'Ivoire and Central African Republic, which sometimes appears to be a way of multilateralizing. Former discredited unilateral interventions to promote its own narrow interests. So you talked about the members, the permanent members of the Security Council. A lot of people agreed that the Security Council have to be reformed, but however, opinions are very divided on the identity of the new members. In your work, you talk about the realities of a new international order. So, what are these realities? And、uh, what countries do you see are deserving of a seat in, on the Security Council? The countries I would propose bringing into a reformed Security Council would be in Latin America. I think Brazil accounts for seventy-five percent of the economy of Latin America, and it's done peacekeeping in Haiti and other parts of Latin America. I think it would make sense to bring Brazil in. Um, I think in the African context, it would make sense to bring both South Africa and Nigeria in. South Africa, because it's the most industrialized power in Africa, it's done peacemaking and peacekeeping in the DRC and Burundi, and I think it has lots of credibility and diplomatic experience. Nigeria is the largest economy in Africa, and since its independence in 1960, has deployed 150,000 peacekeepers to over 40 missions around the world.、Uh, and I think it has the credibility also in terms of population size. One in every five Africans is a Nigerian. So, in terms of representation, that also makes sense. Um, there's also some. Pe- India is also an obvious one. You know, as I said earlier, 1.2 million people are Indians. That's about a sixth of the world's population, and I think it makes sense to bring India in because it's also contributed to UN peacekeeping consistently as among the top three contributors in the world. It's a nuclear power. And it's a military power in its region in South Asia as well. Those would be the countries that I would argue need to be brought in, and of course Germany and Japan are keen to get on as well. But I'm more interested in the global South representation on the Council. So you would see a larger Security Council, or would you like keep France and and Britain? Well, the thing is, there's a, a difference between what I would want to see. And what the reality is, France and Britain have been clever enough to build a veto into the decision on whether to remove them from the council. So it would be pretty difficult 
to remove them. What is the most desirable is that France and Britain actually have a European Union seat on the council, perhaps with Germany, and they could rotate that among themselves. But I don't think they're likely to agree to that. You know, as British diplomats say, when you suggest these kind of things to them, Turkeys don't vote for Christmas, so why should we get off the council? Um, so I think the most likely thing is to expand the council, and there have been all sorts of proposals, but in 2005, which is when the last round of UN reforms took place, the suggestion was to expand the council to about 25 members from its current 15, and I think one would have to do something like that to bring in these uh, members. Well, thank you very much, Adi. This was a podcast by CISD SOAS, the Center of International Studies and Diplomacy. Thank you for listening.